0: Podcast, July 10th, 2016. Hey, what's up FC? Bobby here as always. Welcome to the podcast. Sorry about the construction going on outside my window. We had a K-Razzy party last night and the city is putting the roof back on our apartment building after the most mind-melting game of trivial pursuit our nation has ever seen. Anyway, before we get to the sermon, here's what's going on right now at Foundation's Church. We'll be having a meeting for everyone interested in the Ethiopia trip this winter in the sanctuary after the second service this week. Pastor Justin will be going over some of the logistics as well as giving you a bit of an idea about what to expect should you- Hey, get off of that. Stop. Sorry, kitten. Anyhow, we'll be going over a little bit of what you can expect should you be led to come with us. Also, uh, oh, hey, wait, that's it. Well, without further ado, here's our guest speaker the legendary Robbie McClure. Well, it's always good to be back here. Appreciate you guys uh, showing up. You didn't have any warnings, so you didn't know any better. But uh, love Justin and Casey. They are some awesome people. I've uh, got uh, Casey. Uh, Justin sent me their, uh, her book the other day. And so my wife's been digging into that, really enjoying that. And uh, we love having him up. He's one of our teenagers' favorite speakers uh, every year, like when they have revivals or different things, where I was like, get Justin to come, because he always preaches on weird things like Skittles and hookers and stuff like that. It's just, it, it, I don't know, his sermon titles are just, it's, it's awesome. So, but he's just a ton of fun. I can tell you Justin's stories all day long. You don't want to hear them. You don't want to hear you here that long. So we won't do that. But uh, again, it's just good to be here. Hope they're having a great Time on their vacation, he did our. Uh, they both actually, as a couple, did our marriage retreat last year at our church, and everybody's still talking about it. So they're great, great people. Turn to Luke chapter three today, if you want to, if you got your Bibles there, and we're going to talk about repairing the road from the story of a John the Baptist. How many of you just love road construction? It just makes your day. Isn't it awesome here, especially in Oklahoma? It seems like they just are never done fixing the roads. It's amazing, and. Um, I am uh, not a person that really enjoys a lot of that stuff at all. Fortunately, I live in Mustang, Oklahoma, and we have traffic from about five to five fifteen in front of Walmart. Other than that, it's not bad. It's funny as our town has grown, everybody's freaking out in our town like it's no traffic on there, like all the cars. I'm like, yo, you just have no idea. All right, you could live in Houston. God bless you. So, Luke chapter three verse two says this: In the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of uh, the Lord came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. This is talking about John the baptizer. And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every ravine should be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads will be smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. You know, in ancient times, it really wasn't a whole lot different, uh, probably the way a lot of us feel today, Is that? but their roads were terrible. Obviously, they just really didn't have a lot of roads. The Romans came through, and when they came through, they built roads all over the place, but even their roads were just a bunch of cobblestones, and a few years ago, my daughter was in Thessalonica, Greece, and we got to see one of the roads there that probably Paul traveled on, actually, as he would have made his journey down to Thessalonica, but still, it's just a bunch of, of rocks that have been laid out together. They had an eastern proverb. Back in the Bible times, it said this there are three states of misery sickness, fasting, and traveling. (laughs) I thought that's pretty good. (laughs) Because back then, they said before a traveler ever left their home, there's some things they should do. First of all, they said you should pay all your debts, provide for your dependents, give away parting gifts, return all articles that you've borrowed from somebody, take money, and have a good temper on the journey, and tell everybody goodbye. Because there's a good chance you may not be coming home, you know? Because roads were dangerous in those times. There was robbers and thieves everywhere. Plus, the roads were just bad. If you got on a boat, it seems like every time Paul did, the boat wrecked. Or the disciples did, there was a storm. You know what I'm saying? It was just not fun traveling. And I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of road trips. My wife's family lives in Detroit, Michigan. They just moved to Maryland, even further away. And they're always like, come up and see us. And I'm like, no way, send me money to buy a plane ticket, all right? Because seriously, that's just like, uh, road trips, like one of the, 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 the most dreadful things, throwing all the family in a hot car and let's drive for hours and spend time together. Yeah, fun times, Right. But seriously, driving is kind of scary. You know, I I I know driving around in 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 Oklahoma is always crazy because in Oklahoma there are road signs and town names that crack me up. (laughs) I'm always hearing about new towns in Oklahoma. You know, Um, I buried a guy yesterday that was from Bearden. Oklahoma, And I, I said, where's that? And they said, well, it's a suburb of Cromwell, <laughs> which is, a, and if you knew Cromwell, that'd be even funnier. But yeah, I mean, it's a little bitty town. It's one of those towns where you drive towards town to go hunting, you know what I'm talking about? Um, the biggest industry there was a 300-pound Avon lady, and it's not, it's not, it's a small town. And Oklahoma's like that. I remember one time we were in Salisaw, and we were driving, I was a youth pastor, and we were driving kids to youth convention in Oklahoma City. And I was one of those youth pastors, probably like your dad that never stops if there's a bathroom, you know, you've been there, done that, Right, And so I wanted to get there. And we're driving and kids are screaming about having to go to the bathroom. And, and lo and behold, you got to love Oklahoma. Just past Henrietta, there's a town called Weleka. <laughs> and the kids all started screaming, hey, Robbie, Weleka, Weleka. Pull the van over, you know, and then I'm serious. Ten miles later, there's a town called We Tumka. <laughs> and so they were going, "Robbie, We Leak Kid." Other kids go, "Robbie, We Dumka, <laughs> We Dumka," and I'm serious as we're driving along, and I'm listening this for 20 minutes. I look up and there's a sign right outside of Shawnee that says Holdenville, <laughs> and I ain't, got, I ain't stopping. You guys are in for it, so we're cruising all the way. And there's road signs out there. I'm driving down I-35, and there's a road sign that says, "Do not drive in the smoke." What does that mean? Like, it's a no-smoking section of the highway, sir, you know? Pass with care. I'm driving past people, waving at them. I'm all over the road, you know? There's just signs out there. I, you know, I saw signs the other day said, slow children at work, or slow, slow children at play, and I felt bad for them, and then I realized they got jobs when they got older because it's slow men at work. But, um, you know, I've always been afraid. I wake up one morning, I have a sign in my front yard that said, dip. <laughs> he lives there. Uh, sir, in the, the other day, I had a guy in the first service tell me there's a sign in Miami, Oklahoma, that says, no worm digging on the highway. It's like, I, I, I still don't understand that one. It's like, we're in a Walmart here and we want to go fishing. So we're looking for some worm. Yeah, that's why there's potholes in the road. I saw a sign in Shawnee, Oklahoma that said this, the topper of all, do not molest public property. It's like you don't like the speed limit, so you pull over and moon the sign. I mean, how do you molest public property? Anyway, so, but, but it's kind of scary out there driving around, and I remember road trips when I was a kid. My family did the big road trip to California, you know what I'm talking about, where you go like through the Painted Desert, and the Grand Canyon, and the and the, the Petrified Forest, and Las Vegas, and Hoover Dam, and California, and then drove all the way home, and it was in a Pontiac Bonneville, and I remember about that trip. I remember one thing, Rhinestone Cowboy was a popular song, so yes, I am old, Right? And it was on the radio. And then my dad would give us like 50 cents if we saw a Phillips 66 sign because we were always looking for gas. And the other thing was, I remember spending most of the trip in the back window seal of that car sleeping or laying there. You know, don't, anybody ever been there? You done that before? Like, we were growing up, we didn't have seat belts like these, these, these sissy kids today, right? I mean, we'd lay up there, my sister and I would fight over it. If mom and dad hit the brakes and you fell on the floor, bro, it's like, woohoo! and you jump back up there again, right? Nowadays, you got to have a seatbelt for everything. I bought a Nissan Altima, it had automatic seatbelts. It almost killed me several times. It'd get stuck in the corner, you know? I'm at Walmart trying to call 911, help, <laughs> you know? I didn't need seatbelts growing up. I had my mom's arm, cat run across the road, smack, you know? <laughs> I remember sitting in the office with a black eye, and they're calling DHS because they thought my mom was wiping me out. I'm like, no, seriously, there was a cat that ran across the road. The original airbag was my grandma's arm because she had a little flabby arm thingy right there. It was like hitting her arm was like a pillow. It was was awesome. So, road trips are scary, right? And this passage is talking about these roads. And in fact, it's a story. It really comes from Isaiah chapter 40. It was a prophecy about John the Baptist that he was going to get the road ready for Jesus to come, who was going to be the Messiah. It's kind of what ties the Old Testament together with the New Testament. In fact, the last phrase in the Old Testament, at the end of Malachi, is also talking about John the Baptist, this guy that would tie the two together. And, it, and it, basically, this prophecy was given 700 years before John the Baptist was ever born. So again, it's just another thing in the Bible that shows us prophetically that Jesus was who he said he was. And the thing is, in ancient times, if a king or a prince, part of the monarch, was coming to your town, they would send a guy there in advance called a herald, and he would let everybody know the king is coming next month, and he would just go around town, and basically, give you a list of things you need to fix. You need to paint that building. You need to bums off the street. You know, you need to fix the potholes right here. And he'd make sure the route was all figured out and safe. And and basically, the town elders had a decision they could either obey or not obey. And so most of the time, they would because it was it was an honor for the king to come to town. And they wanted to make sure that the town was sparkling and clean and everything was awesome. You never know if they might need something. The king would be happy to give it to them because of the way they had set up the town. And so so it was an embarrassment. if if they didn't have it prepared when the king got there. Plus, from the king's perspective, it was an insult if the town wasn't ready. If the town showed up, he showed up and the town was in disrepair and there were potholes everywhere, you know, then he, there might be consequences for that city and for the elders of that town from the government because of what they've done. And even today, you know, we have uh, advanced teams that go before the president and make sure everything's all figured out for him and that they got safe roads to travel and there's a right way in and out and all these things. And people constantly prepare for this kind of stuff. You know, we have the Olympics Hopefully starting in Brazil here in a few weeks, right? But everybody's like freaking out because it's not ready yet. And they're going to get the Zika virus and the water tastes bad. And everybody's all going nuts about it. You know, they warn these, these cities literally seven years in advance they have to get ready. But the problem is there's been all these bribes going on. And so these towns are getting cities that really aren't ready for it. And so you have things like in, in Beijing, they spent $44 billion getting their town ready for the Olympic athletes to come. You think that's bad? In the Sochi Olympics, they spent $51 billion getting their town ready for the athletes to come to be able to have the Sochi Olympics in 2014. The fact is, there's all this work that has to be done, leveling, smoothing, straightening to make ready for the greatest guest of all, and his name's Jesus. And John the Baptist's role... Was simply to get stuff ready to repair the roads for the Messiah to come, so everybody could see Jesus. They could see the salvation of God that was going to be revealed. And his job was to make that pathway easier for people to see Jesus. And as I read through that the other day, it struck me that thought that that's really our job, you and me. Our job is to make sure that it's not difficult for people to see Jesus, either through our lives or through our churches or our families. But in every area, we want to make sure we make it as simple as possible for people to see who Jesus is, and by doing that, we repair the roads. And so, I want to just give you a couple things from this passage that it tells us we need to do to repair the road for people to see Jesus. And the first one is simply this He said, The hills and the valleys need to be leveled. We're going to raise up the valleys, and we're going to lower the hills. You know, uh, I was the state youth director for about six years, and we had youth camp back then down at Turner Falls State Park in Davis, Oklahoma. And, and down there, it's one of the few places in Oklahoma where you actually go through mountains in the Arbuckle Mountains. They would cut these big holes. And if you drive down through there, you know, a couple years ago, we had to close a road because part of the road was caving in, but they literally cut into a mountain so they can make the road a little bit lower so you're not going all the way over the mountain. And then where there's valleys, that's too low with rivers, they put a bridge there. So we kind of leveled the thing out. And that's what they had to do is level it out. And that to me speaks of, consistency and what consistency is. You know, we don't like things that are up and down, you know, I mean, other than roller coasters, right? But we're not supposed to be roller coasters spiritually. In fact, I many of even know, know somebody that's moody. Don't be pointing at them. Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Moody people, they're not fun to be around, right? You ever had that family reunion? There's that one family member that everybody's like, oh man, everybody be nice. Don't make them mad because it'll ruin the whole trip. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to like people like that. You know, as a guy, I'm always trying to figure out stuff with my wife. Men have to be detectives because women, they don't tell you where they want to eat. You got to figure it out. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, I asked my wife, where do you want to eat? She like I don't care. I said, okay, hey, we'll go to McDonald's. Well, no, I don't want McDonald's. Well, you said you don't care. Make up your mind. I've even flipped a coin before. I'll get it all the way down to Outback or Stake and L when Steak and L was here. And I said, okay, I'm gonna flip a coin. Heads is Outback, tails is stake and L. Is that cool? She's like, yeah, that's great. And I'll flip it. Oh, it's Outback. And she goes, Oh, <laughs> why didn't you just tell me? I'm trying to to figure it out. <laughs> you know? I bought her a mood ring the other day. If it's if it's green, then she's in a good mood. If she's in a bad mood, it leaves a red mark right there on my forehead. <laughs> I had a lady at my church, she said, I don't usually wake up grumpy, I just let him sleep in. So, um, but moody people, they're up and down and you never know what to expect with them and that's the way it is. You know, it's like little kids. You know, when kids are little bitty, they can make messes and nobody cares. How many of you have a picture of your kids, one year birthday and there's chocolate cake on the ceiling? You know what I'm saying? It's like everywhere, spaghetti on top of their head. You know, kids just make these incredible messes in there. Oh, it's so cute, take a picture, put it on Facebook, right? Yeah, like those kids there their parents took those pictures, put it on Facebook and then beat them. All right. <laughs> That's crazy. I remember my, my, my son one time when we were moving to Mustang 21 years ago, we had to go find a house. So we just drove up one day, three hours from, from Salis or Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we're just going to, you know, find a house real quick and go back home. So we had the little small baby bag that just diapers, no extra clothes, anything like that. Well, we're, while we're eating, we stop at Western or there we stop at Western Sizzling to eat. Probably mistake number one, but anyway, um, while we're eating, our son has a blowout. Okay, for those of you that have kids, know what that means. That means there is poop everywhere. Like it doesn't stay in the diaper, it's up the back of the shirt, out the back of the neck, off the sleeves. Anybody been there you know what I'm talking about? blowouts. yeah. Those of you who don't have kids, God bless you, it's awesome. <laughs> well, we're at Western Slyssling, we have nothing except a few baby wipes and a diaper. And we're like, take him outside and we're like, well, what do we do? We're just throwing clothes away, trying to clean him. We can't get him clean, we don't have enough stuff. So being the brilliant man that I am, I hear the sprinkler system at Western Slyssling going off. <laughs> True story. I have my son holding him over the water sprinkler. Western. <laughs> if you've ever washed your baby in a Western sizzling uh, sprinkler system, you might be a redneck. You know, <laughs> and that's cute when they're little bitty. But guess what? You grow up, and when you grow up, you're not supposed to do that anymore. You're not supposed to have spaghetti on your head. You know. It's cute when you're a little bit, as you get older, that you grow up, you don't do those kind of, you don't make as many messes as you used to make, you know? That's the idea of growing up is there's, you level out. There's a little more consistency in your life. And there comes a time that we have to grow up. And, and I believe that's true. And, and and I believe it's true spiritually, you know, as, as believers, we are supposed to grow in the Lord, you know, and not make messes and do some of the dumb things we maybe used to do when we first got saved in Hebrews 5, 12, Paul's talking to the church and he says, listen, you guys ought to be teachers by now. He said, but the problem is, is you need somebody to go teach you the elementary things all over again. You're not growing like you should. And so he challenged them to step up to the plate and to grow better in James chapter one. He he tells us that we should rejoice when we have trials in our life. Why? Because they test our faith and because they help us to be patient and that being patient helps us to endure and that through enduring, we become complete, mature and lacking nothing. The word complete there means we're done. It's like you're baking something and it's done. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. By the time they're 18, hopefully they're going to move out. But you have to invest in them and pour into their life so that when they're ready to go out into the world, they've got everything they need, all the tools they need, and the biblical knowledge they have to make good decisions and to follow the Lord. And that's the idea is that God wants us to grow and to get to this place where we're mature, where we're complete, and we can take on the world and, and be able to make it. Paul's goal was for believers to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord in Ephesians four fourteen, He says, I don't want you to be children anymore that are tossed and blown about by every wind of doctrine and that we won't be influenced by people who try to pull us away from the truth. We're solid. See, I believe this, I believe the greatest mark of spiritual maturity is consistency. You become consistent in your walk with God. You're not up and down all the time. you know. In 1 Kings chapter 20, there's a story about a guy named Benadad. He was the king of the Arameans and they would come and fight Israel. And one time they attacked Israel up the mountains and, and Israel defeated them. And he went back home and he was trying to encourage his troops. And he said, the reason they beat us is because we were on the mountains. He said, but if we fight them in the valleys, we'll beat them because their God is just the God of the hills. He's not the God of the valleys. And God sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said, listen, they're going to come back and fight you next year. And he said, and you're going to defeat them. And God was ticked because they said, he's just the God of the hilltops and not the God of the valleys. God wants us to know that he's with us all the time through thick and thin, whether you're on a mountaintop or whether you're in a valley. And I'm just, I'm worried that too many of us treat God like that, that he's only the God when we're on the mountaintops, but we're in the valleys that we get discouraged and we get frustrated and and we, we forget about God at times. And he wants to be the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. See, one day Moses was walking out in the wilderness and he saw a bush on fire. And I don't understand this, folks. Some of you that are smarter than me can tell me how it works. But supposedly because of the, the way the air is in that area, bushes can spontaneously combust and catch on fire. It was no big deal for Moses to see a bush on fire. This bush, though, was different. Why? Because it didn't burn up. It just kept burning. It was consistent. And the Bible says Moses took a second look at that bush. And I'm just telling you, the people you work with and you go to school with have seen a thousand Christians come home from camp excited or revival or a great service, and they've seen them excited and all on fire. But then the next week they've seen them burn out. And I'm going to tell you, the only reason the world will take a second look at you and me is because we are consistent in our walk with God. It reminds me of the story of Paul and Silas in, in, when they were in, in uh Acts chapter 16, when they're in the town of Philippi, the Bible says that the Philippians beat them with rods, took them in a prison and chained them and stuck them on the walls. And so what they did is that night they started singing gloom, despair and agony on me. No, that's not what they're saying. They started worshiping God. You know what happened? Chains fell off their hands. The bars opened up and other prisoners left. The Philippian jailer runs in scared he's going to get killed because the prisoners are gone. They're all there. And then he runs to Paul and Silas and falls down at their feet and says, what do I need to do to be saved? See, what I believe the, 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 the real message of that story is simply this, is that he watched two guys going through one of the most difficult days of their life and the way they lived their life caused him to want what they had. And your friends are watching you as you go through cancer and you struggle through divorce or, or you deal with stuff at work or losing your job. And they're watching you to see if this God that you serve is just a God of the hills or if he's also a God of the valleys. And I believe consistency is one of the primary ways that we help people to see Jesus through our lives. Secondly, as he said this, he said, the crooked roads need to be made straight. That speaks to me about integrity. I rode up here this morning with a friend of mine named Brandon, and every two years we jump with our pastor and another guy, and we go to Colorado and we ride our motorcycles through the mountains of Colorado. And it's like a cool spiritual experience. <laughs> And there's places in Colorado. There's a road in Colorado called the Million Dollar Highway. It goes from Ooray, Silverton, Colorado, to Ooray, Colorado. It's only like 23 miles, I think, or 13 miles, something like that. But it's just like that right there. Against the cliff on one side, 300-foot drop on the other side, no guardrail. It's awesome. But it's just this crazy crooked road. And a few years ago, I I want to take my family there because I'd been there a couple times. So I got my wife. She loves riding our motorcycle. And we got up there and I took her on that road and I thought she'd love it. And she hated it. She was scared to death. She had her head buried in my back, speaking in tongues, praying. I haven't heard her pray that much since the Pensacola revival. I'm telling you, it was wild. She hated it. And she was scared to death because of the way the road was and how crooked and there was no guardrail and no this and that. And it freaked her out. The world is full of people that are crooked. You know, the idea behind being crooked is that simply that you're not straight. You know, we have politicians. This political race has been Crazy. You know, of, of, of people that will say one thing and then the next day say something else and then say something over here and it's just there's never any consistency to what they say at all. And, and, and I don't like liars. I've been around people that lie and, and you never know whether you can believe. You know anything they believe. In fact, they get so bad, sometimes they don't know if they're lying. And they're just not honest. And I, I, there was one morning I remember walking out to my car, and this is a while back because I had a cassette tape player. We don't do those anymore. But I remember one of my cassettes was laying on the, floor, uh, on the, the driveway by my car. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's that doing there? i not supposed to be there. I must have dropped that out of my car. When I opened the door, guess what? I've been robbed. Somebody stole my stereo and my speakers and my golf clubs out of the trunk. I was really ticked about that. But you ever been robbed? You just feel violated. Somebody came in and just took the cheap way and stole something you worked hard for. That's crooked. That's why we call them crooks. Because crooked. in fact, the word crooked here is the word scolio in the, in the Greek language it was written in, where we get the word scoliosis. It means to be bent. And the fact is, there's a lot of people in our world that are bent. Jesus said, Your yes should mean yes and your no should mean no in Matthew 5, 37. Jesus said we need to make those roads straight. Things that are crooked need to be made straight. The word straight there is the word where we get integrity from. You know what integrity means? Integrity means whole means that it's all the same. This building, when you guys bought it, you had to come in and make sure that it had integrity. The other day in Oklahoma City, we had a truck that went under a bridge and it hit the bridge and part of the bridge collapsed and they had to come in and make sure that so the other side of that bridge had integrity or that the whole thing was working together to hold itself together. And so when the Bible speaks about integrity or we talk about people having integrity, what we're saying is that you're whole, that every part of your life works together to make it just be one thing. It means that the way you act, at school and the way you act at work and the way you act when you're in private with your friends or you're in private or you're out with your friends golfing or whatever you're doing, every part of your life is the same. You're the same person no matter where we see you or what you're doing. That's integrity. It's wholeness. That It all works together to send the same message every time. That's what we have to do. We have to make things straight like that. Just be honest, be real, be who we are. You know, back in Bible times, the Greeks would make all those beautiful statues and stuff. And a lot of times their statues would be flawed. They'd have cracks in them and stuff. So what they would do is they would take wax and they would fill in the cracks and they'd smooth it over. People never know. You'd buy this statue. You thought it was awesome. You'd take it home, put it outside. And you know, later in the summer, when it starts getting hot, all of a sudden the wax would melt out and you'd have these big cracks in this statue that you bought. And you'd realize you got ripped off. So, what they started doing is making people put tags on the statues that said sinceros, which means no wax, without wax. And that meant that it was whole, you weren't hiding something. And I don't want, that's what, where we get the word sincere. We're talking about being honest, is that there's no secrets in your life. There's not all these little hidden rooms in your life that nobody knows about. I'm talking about the crooked becoming straight. Let me just ask yourself a question Are you honest with people? Are you real? It's easy to come to church and play church, to come to church and fight all the way here. You know what I'm talking about, in the car. And then you come in with your smiles. Hey, everything's awesome. Everything is awesome. Everybody, how you doing? Oh, fine. I'm great. Liar. (laughs) I understand we have good days and bad days, but the bottom line is, let's just be real. We're family. Be real with each other. You're only as free as your secret's. And if we're just let people see Jesus, they need to see us, see the real us, get rid of the secrets, get rid of all those things that would, would tear those down. And and in fact, we, uh, we talk about hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? Somebody that purposely deceives somebody else because we have a bunch of hypocrites in church. People out in the world are hypocrites too. If you're, if you're in the world, you're not saved, man, drink like a fish, sleep with everything that moves. Quit being a hypocrite and act like you're a good person. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They're hypocrites too. I'd just rather go to church with a few hypocrites for a little while and go to hell with all of them forever, amen? <laughs> the fact is, a hypocrite is someone that deceives people on purpose. I hear people say, well, we're all hypocrites. No, we're not. I'm not trying to deceive anybody on purpose. I'm not trying to be an actor. We can be real. We can be real in this environment and share with people our needs. That's what the church is for, is for people to help us and get through the situations and the things that we have. We talk about the Bible. They use a word that... that, that with, they call it the canon. That means a ruler. It's something that's straight. and That's what the Bible is. The Bible is a ruler to you and me. It's akin. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching what is true to make us realize what's wrong in our lives and it straightens us out and teaches us what's right. See, when you stand before God and I stand before God, he's not going to make us stand up beside Justin or Casey or... Billy Graham, you know what he's going to put beside us is the Bible, and it's just a straight edge, and he's going to be able to look and see how crooked we are according to that book. That's why the Bible is the study guide, study to show yourself approved. That means study to pass the test. A workman who's not going to be ashamed. That one day you'll stand before God, and He will judge you according to Scripture, and so we need to live our lives according to what the Bible says and be straight. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven three. It says, the integrity of the straight will guide them and the crookedness of the deceitful will destroy them. Proverbs 28, six says it this way, better to be poor and straight than rich and crooked. We repair the way we help people to see Jesus when we live lives of integrity, when we straighten up the crooked things. And then finally, when we make the rough stuff smooth. There are some churches and some people That are rough. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I grew up in uh, Sepulpa, Oklahoma. I was born there. My grandpa pastored a free holiness church, which means everything is a sin. Right? I mean, I'm serious. My grandma's legs were wider than a homeland chicken. You know what I'm talking about? They'd never seen the sun in her whole life. She had the big beehive hairdo, you know, and all that stuff, you know. And um, I remember uh, every, everything, everything was a sin there. I was having family reunion. and I'm eating the cake. And I said, man, this is good. What is this? And they said, that's sin cake. I said, sin cake? Why is it called sin cake? Because anything that good has to be a sin, Right. But literally, I remember if if a lady ever tried to walk into that church in jeans or pants, they would make her change her clothes that they had conveniently in the closet for her, or she could leave. There was all these rules you had to go by, and there there was so little that was about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It reminded me of the Pharisees in the Bible. They were so hung up on their rules. Their rules were more important than people. That's why Jesus freaked them out when he came along and said, listen, God didn't make the Sabbath day because, you know, because he, or make you because he had to have somebody that would honor the Sabbath day. He made the Sabbath day for you to enjoy. And too many times we get caught up in all these rules and these rough ideas of the way you're supposed to do things that, that people never really learn that it's about a relationship. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, you follow all these rules, but you miss out on the important things. And then he tells us what they are. They are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In fact, in Romans 12, it says that the way our lives are changed is that we are transformed. That means changed from the inside out, not conformed, which is the outside changing you, conforming you to that that thing. That's the way we ought to be, is is you can make all these rules and try to conform people into a little mold, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes inside and he transforms us. He makes us different. I love your church, and I love Justin, and I know that Justin's idea is that people could belong here before they learn how to, even before they believe even before they behave because it's a loving environment here. And that's what we have to create is a community where people can love and learn how to be loved and and, and fall in love with what Jesus is, this idea of a loving God. The story was told that when Michelangelo was making that famous statue of David that the Pope came by and said, how do you know what to make it look like? And Michelangelo said, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like David. David. That's what God does to us. We're rough sometimes, and he comes along and he chips away all those little things in us that don't look like Jesus. And so we have to smooth out those rough edges, and we do that through the love of God. The Bible says in John 13, 35, that they will know you are my disciples by the kind of car you drive to church. They will know you're my disciples by the clothes you wear and how cool your house is. No, they will know you're my disciples by your Love. First John 4 says, if you can't love people, you can't love God. That's just the bottom line. First Corinthians 13 1 Corinthians 13.1 says that if, if we can have a, the greatest gifts in the world spiritually, a word of knowledge and faith and all these things, but if we don't know how to love people, we're just like somebody banging on a cymbal over there. And in Corinth, they all knew what that was, because in Corinth they had all these, this temple to Diana, and the way they part of their worship was just clanging cymbals. And so all day long, if you lived in Corinth, that's all you heard was just these banging cymbals all the time. And and Paul is saying, listen, if, if we don't love, we're just like all the other religions in town. It's just annoying. You ever had somebody try to put truth down your throat without love? It's annoying. It's annoying. But love makes all of the difference in the world. It isn't truth that changes people, it's truth spoken in love. That's what changes people. I had a teacher in Bible college named Dr. Floxton, and when he was in college himself, he went to preach for a pastor in a small town. After the service, the pastor didn't give him any money, he said, Thank you, God bless you. And he was out of gas, he couldn't get back to college. And he had to ask that pastor, Sir, could I borrow $5 just to get some gas so I get back to college. I'll pay you back. That pastor griped and complained and stomped around, pulled a $5 bill out of his pocket, wadded it up, and tossed it to him, and it hit the ground. Brother Floxter said, I didn't want to pick that $5 bill up. I just wanted to walk out. He said, but I needed 5 bucks to pay for gas. <laughs> now, that $5 was still worth $5, but he didn't want it because of the attitude the guy gave it to him. And we can try to preach to people all we want, but listen... If we do it with the wrong attitude, they don't want to accept it, even though it is the truth. Mary Poppins said, "It's a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down." You know that's a true fact. If you give kids sugar, when you give them a shot, it doesn't hurt as bad. True story. And when we give people love, why do you think Jesus healed people and then he talked to them about their souls? Why did he, he always loved on them first. He touched the leper. He he did all those things and then he would say, go and sin no more. The bottom line is speaking the truth is easy, but earning the right to speak the truth is a whole different thing. It comes with loving people and investing in their lives. Scientific research um, tells us that you can predict happiness, stress, memory loss, weight loss, life expectancy, and, and, and the odds of quitting smoking simply by the quality and the quantity of your friendships. True story. Teenagers that go to churches, they say the ones that stay in church after graduating from high school, nearly every one of them have one adult friend in the church that they had a friendship with before they graduated and it causes them to wanna to stay in church. In Rome, in 165 AD, smallpox—smallpox, smallpox—that's what a lot of people. Are. <laughs> that's funny. Smallpox swept across that community, killing thousands of people. And secular history records that the people that were plugged into churches had a 66% better chance of living than people that weren't. Because there was this loving community of people that wanted to help them, to keep their fever down, to take care of them. And the church grew exponentially during that time because the drawing power of the church was community. Every stat tells you that when a person walks into church, they make up their mind in the first five minutes of whether they're going to go to church there or not based on how many people say hi to them, whether they make friends or not. You guys are doing these community groups, your connect groups. If you're not in one, get in one, because community is what it's all about. In fact, I'll tell you, the deeper the level of relationships in your life is usually almost always proportional to the deeper the level of discipleship. You look at the people in this church that have the most friends and most relationships, usually they're the most discipled people in the church. And the people that just sneak in late and leave early, their faith is sometimes very shallow because their relationships are shallow. We've all got to get below the surface, folks. This is about becoming like Jesus so people can see Jesus. And it starts in our lives through, through uh, consistency, through integrity, and through community. We help a lost world out there to see Jesus. You know, there's, there's plenty of obstacles out there to keep people from God. You know, the Bible tells us that when Paul first got saved, his name was Saul. He'd been killing Christians one week, sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he shows up at church a few weeks later in Jerusalem. And the Bible says this, the disciples were afraid of him. They didn't know if he was really real or not. They didn't want him to kill them. They thought he was a secret agent or a spy or whatever. And finally, the Bible says this, but Barnabas went to him, and he brought Saul to him, and he told him what God had done in Saul's life. And then it says this phrase, it says, and then Paul stayed with the apostles. I've always wondered what would have happened if Barnabas hadn't been at that church. We might have never had half of the New Testament. The story of a guy named Saul that became Paul. But because of Barnabas, he stayed in the church. And you know what? Every one of us know people that don't come to church because of somebody at church. Can I challenge you to be the person that people stay at church because of you? When you have baptismal services or membership classes and people are saying why they're at Foundation's Church your name keeps popping up because you're the reason they stayed. Because you have integrity, because you have consistency, because you understand the value of community. There's a ton of things out there to keep people out of church. The Bible says in Matthew 18:7, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling blocks come. I don't ever want to be a person's reason for not living for God. Instead, I want to be the reason they stay true, the reason they hang in. So help people to see Jesus. Help people get to Jesus by living a consistent life, by having integrity, being the same everywhere you go, and by plugging in and building relationships with people. I know it's hard sometimes, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Lord, we thank you today that your word speaks to us and it's true. Help us, Jesus, to be a loving community here that lets people come in and belong. Hopefully, eventually, they learn how to believe and then they start to behave according to your word. But Lord, just let us be a place, a safe place, a place of grace, a place of mercy and compassion like you were. Just speak to our hearts today and help us, Lord, to walk out of here differently with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You're here this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never really made that commitment to following Him. Can I just tell you, He loves you. Nobody's down on you. This, this church wants to help you through whatever you're going through. They want to help you become the man or woman of God, the dream that God has for your life. If that's you today, you just say, I need Jesus. Need to know him. I want to serve him. I want to make that commitment to follow him today. Would you slip a hand up and say, That's me? I want to have a relationship with him that's real, changes my life. How many of you this morning would be honest enough just to say, I need, I got some areas in my life I got to work on. Maybe you've struggled a little bit with consistency. Maybe there's some secrets and some integrity issues in your life that need to be dealt with. Maybe it's just, simply uh, learning how to go deeper in relationships and not just be on the surface level here at church. If you just say, Robby, you can count on me. I want to be a person that people stay at this church of because of me. If that's you, would you just look up and say, that's me. I make that commitment. I want to be that person, that man or that woman of God and make a difference. Let's stand all across this room, all of us. I think we have anybody that wants to, our elder team that would help us. If you're here this morning and you want prayer, we're just going to close the service out with song and with prayer. Maybe you want to pray about something that I said today. Maybe you just want prayer. Maybe you need a healing touch in your body. We believe that Jesus heals. We want to pray for you this morning. So I'm going to pray. As I do, I want to ask you to come. The band's going to sing, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. But would you come if you want prayer, and we have people that will pray with you. God bless you. Father, we love you. We just pray that today you would help us all to repair the roads in our life, God, that people could see Jesus in us and through us, that Foundations Church would be a place, God, a place of hope, a place of grace, a place of mercy. Lord, let it start with us. I pray for those of us that struggle with consistency, Lord. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us, Lord, to be stronger, that, that, Lord, we wouldn't live a life that says you're just a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys. But, Lord, there would be just a walk with you that's continuous. There would be a joy unspeakable and full of glory, Lord, a, a peace that doesn't make sense when it, when it to have peace, Lord, that, that would shine in other people's lives and they would see Jesus in us. I pray for those of us, Lord, that there's areas of our life where maybe we've been a little crooked, God, where we've not been as honest or as real as we should be. We've hidden things back. God, help us today to be real. Just to be real, to let you search our hearts and know our minds and try us and see if there's any wicked in us. God, help us to live straight lives, to line up according to your word. And I pray, God, that you'd help this to be a community. believers lord where we would all walk together and we would love each other and we would make a difference in people's lives i pray for those that are hurting today those that need healing in their bodies that are struggling financially lord that are going through difficult situations in their life with sickness and relationships lord that that this body would wrap around us and together we would heal together god that love would cover a multitude of sins that you would help us to minister to each other. Lord, let us be a road that lets people see Jesus. Whatever we gotta do so people can see Jesus, help us to do that. In your name we pray, Lord. We bless you this morning, God. Believe, belong, become. Join in our vision here at Foundations Church. services are every Sunday at 9 and 10.45 a.m. And our youth service voltage is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more about us or to get plugged in, check us out online at foundationschurch.tv.